Good evening. Welcome to Celebration Church for our Wednesday night Bible study. Welcome all those who are here as well as those at our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point and the very large group of people who watch this online. Uh, a bunch at, this, at right at this time and a bunch later. Uh, typically there winds up to thousands of people actually listen to these things, which is stunning to me. So uh, anyway, but we're glad you're here. Glad you joined with us and uh, what we're doing is we're going through the Bible one verse at a time. We are in the New Testament, and we are in the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. Let's open in prayer, and we'll get into it. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. You're very gracious to us, O oh Lord. Help us to understand your word. Help us to make clear that which really needs to be clear, and help us not to get hung up over things that are not clear. Help us to be gracious in our own estimations of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. By the way, tonight's the Bible study will be a, a little bit shorter. We've got a bunch of people that are getting baptized, so we're going to be going to that at the end at the other campuses. Uh, unusual. Usually they have people to baptize as well. They don't tonight, but you guys can break, just have more personal time hanging out with each other, or you can watch. We'll keep this, the stream going so you can see the people here and celebrate with them as they make their commitment to Christ in baptism. We are in Romans now, the ninth chapter, a part of the Bible that grieves me greatly. <laughs> because it's really hard uh, to comprehend. And uh, this is the part here where Paul gets into, starts introducing terminology and trying to explain things that get a little confusing. Uh, I never feel bad when I don't understand what Paul's talking about, because I always remember what Peter said, which is Paul talks about things that are hard to understand. Thank you. All right? So I don't really understand what he's talking about. There's people who claim to understand. Um, and in this particular section, we're talking about the idea of uh, predestination versus free will. And uh, there's general terms to it. Generally, a person who believes in predestination is referred to as a Calvinist, although there's lots of different versions of that. A person who believes in free will is called an, an Armenian, uh, and there's lots of different versions of that. Who cares, whichever you call it. I, I had someone uh, post online that they thought that my... Explanation of Calvinism was overly simplistic. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to keep it that way. If you don't like that, too bad. It just, I just, we're not going to get into it. Uh, truth is, to really understand their version of it is enough to give anybody a headache. If you really want to watch people have a stupid argument, just Google online Calvinism versus Armenianism and read the comments. These people are crazy. All right, and they talk in terms. I mean, if you know, it just becomes intellectual arrogance, as far as I am concerned. They get real pinheaded and quoting this, that, and the other. When you need a PhD to understand salvation, you've missed it. <laughs> Seriously, because Paul talks about salvation in the simplest of terms. The Bible always lays it out in the simplest of terms. These guys get into all this complexity, and to me, it is one of the stupidest arguments that Christians get involved in. Now, if you're a hardcore one way or the other, that will make you angry, but just check your medication. It is, it's, like, it's like arguing over the rapture. Do you guys know what the rapture is? The rapture is the concept that before Jesus comes back, Christians will be caught up together uh, all at once uh, before, uh, before he actually, uh, a tribulation, all these things will start happening. Uh, there are Christians who absolutely believe in it completely, and there's those who absolutely disagree with it entirely, and they argue about it, and it's the stupidest thing to argue about. 
How do you know? What, you don't believe it and then it happens? What, you're not going to go? Right? I mean, it's just, it's just it's such a pinheaded nonsense. And to what end? What's the point? To argue whether or not something has been already laid in place uh, ahead of time or whether it was all free will, at the end of the day, the argument is, what does it change? It doesn't change anything. They think it does, but it doesn't change jack. All right? And, uh, and they tend to just get really nutsoid about it. On the extreme end of the people who, and I'm dropping the Calvinist and, and Armenian titles because then everybody gets defensive about their titles. Okay, so stuff it, all right? So we're just going to talk about predestination. People on the extreme end of predestination tend to really get mad when you challenge their thinking. Boy, do they get mad. You can challenge an Armenian, they just listen and go, oh. So, in my opinion, it's the predestination people. Relax. What are you so mad about? What is wrong with you? Who cares? It doesn't change anything. They think it does. Anyway, I think just everybody needs to relax on it. Now, on the one end, God has predestined everything. Everything that happens is already set in stone, and God's already determined who's going to go to heaven, who's going to hell before anybody's even born, and that's just the way it is. To me, a very odd perspective. Consequently, they also come to the conclusion that once you're saved, it's impossible to ever become unsaved. Then you get the free will version that believes salvation is about a choice. You make a choice to be saved or not, and then you need to take care to maintain that which you have. Those on this end really don't like this end, and they both have their extremes. You know, on the uh, free will side, people who, and I talked about it last week, churches that I grew up in, you know, uh, they try to get everybody saved every week. Really? What was really weird is they had Sunday morning services and Sunday evening services. So in the Sunday morning service, they'd have people come forward and get right with God, and Sunday evening, you do it again. I think, what, you backslid over lunch? How's that even possible? <laughs> but just constantly, you know, if you, if you, you know, get mad and kick a dog and a truck runs you over, you're going to go to hell. I mean, they, to them, it's like you can just drop it at any time. Well, Someone on this side thinks that's insane. Well, I do think that's insane, okay? So the truth of the matter is most people are somewhere much more in the middle, which ticks off the people on the edges. The people on the edges who just fall off the cliff <laughs> and go away, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, somewhere in the middle. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the preponderance of evidence in the Bible that this is basically about free will is overwhelming, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They persuaded people to turn their lives to God. They preached the gospel. They went everywhere. Doesn't sound like it's all set in stone to me. That doesn't make any sense. All right? And Paul talks about it. Now, here's the craziest thing about it. You've got these two competing thoughts, and they both get their information from here. The one guy. When you can read one guy's opinion... And come up with two totally different things. I think people need to step back a little bit and, and not be so crazy about things. Here's my personal opinion. And if you don't like it, get in line. All right? It's just the way I view it. And, and everybody has a different view. Here's what I think. I think that God's plan for salvation was absolutely predestined. Everything, this, he's not making this up as he goes. There's a definite plan that is being followed. 
And in the preaching of the gospel and everything set, we go out in the world, we preach, calling people to come to Christ. That is the free will part of it, okay? That's what I think he means. However, I will also go as far as I personally believe, and Paul references it, infers it closely, that there are people who are predestined. So there's actually a difference. There's the free will part of it, but yet in the middle of that, there are those whom he calls the elect. Uh, and even specifically so much, he's going to talk about uh, uh, Pharaoh. Remember, let my people go. Pharaoh, I am not going to let him go. And the Bible says, you know, God hardened his heart. And he wouldn't let him go. And he, he brought another plague. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he still wouldn't let him go. But it was implying that God hardens his heart through the whole thing. And Paul says here that God had predestined this guy to show forth his glory. He absolutely intended to have this guy be such an idiot that God would be able to be totally glorified when he set these people free. Because seriously, one plague, I give in, right? That's me. <laughs> all right. All the world, it turns to blood. Go, go, okay? Frogs everywhere. I give up, okay? All these different plagues. This Nimrod would not give up. And he kept studying. So he's going to talk about that. I, I think John the Baptist was certainly predestined. <laughs> certainly Jesus was predestined. We know in the Old Testament, what, what was it, Cyrus that uh, king of Persia, whatever, don't write me if I'm wrong, but, but anyway, whoever it was, uh, his, I believe his name was Cyrus, his, he was prophesied by name, like 150 years, whatever the number was, before he was even born. It's one of the most stunning Old Testament prophecies. So stunning that, you know, pinheaded students, you know, theologians and stuff like that who don't really believe in the sovereignty of God and that this, you know, this is all, they're just studying it from a religious perspective, are convinced that someone inserted his name later after they found out what his name was. And I don't think that's why it happened at all. I think it happened exactly as it said. God knew exactly who this guy was and what he would do way before he was even born. Sounds pretty predestined to me, right? I think God can do whatever he wants to do. But to get the conclusion from all of this, that either one is the only way it can be, and there's no other way God can do it, I think is where people make mistakes and they argue, and it is a stupid argument because I don't think it changes anything. All right, so uh, jumping into it, we are in verse 14 of chapter 9. What shall we say? Is God unjust? Implying if things are predestined, because he's implying that things are predestined. Uh, he says, no, not at all. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I may have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. They would understand that because God hardened his heart and he kept pushing for another plague and another plague. And another plague. By the way, the nuances. Remember, we just talked about Rebecca's children conceived at the same time. What does that mean? They were twins. There are so many, and he's going on a tear here, of Old Testament references to spin your mind. Now, I don't get it. You would think he's writing to the Christians of Jerusalem, people who all their lives understand. He's writing to the Romans which are way the heck over here. They're about as far in the world away from Jerusalem at that known world at that time as you can be. In his letter, you would think the entire thing would be as he wrote to most Gentiles, talking about this, that, and the other, and stuff that we all understand. But so far in this letter, what? The bulk of it is only understood if you have a thorough knowledge of the history of the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament and everything. So in a way, it's really hard to understand. I don't get it. Either there were a lot of Jewish Christians 
And he says, I'm talking to the Jews at this point, there were either a lot of Jewish Christians in Rome. Okay, certainly possible. Uh, but you would think it would be predominantly non-Jewish. Uh, or uh, they had the scrolls, Old Testament scrolls in Rome, and the Christians would come and they would learn about their faith. The only thing they had written was the Old Testament scrolls. And maybe they were real familiar with it. I don't know. I quote a lot of those things. Most of you, I bet you have no idea what I'm talking about until I tell you where it comes from. Okay? Like the hardened thing right there. That's where that comes from. You truly understand the story of Moses and Pharaoh. Oh, immediately you understand. Well, obviously his audience must be very up to, uh, up to par to know exactly what he's talking about in any given moment here. So God will have mercy on whom he wants to and harden whoever he wants to. And then one of you say to me, well, then why does God still blame us? I mean, if things are already kind of set in stone or they're not, because at this point now, he's implying heavily about predestination. See, the predestination, we really like this section, because <laughs> he's implying strong predestination. In a minute, he's going to imply strongly the opposite. It makes me crazy. But anyway, so his answer to that, well, how can God blame us if it's already predestined? He says, well, who's able to resist his will? That's what you're saying. Well, he says, well, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? And he basically says, shut up. That's his answer. Shut your mouth. That's what he's Running joke here. We got a uh, one of my uh, granddaughters. I won't mention any, any names, but her initials are Scarlet Gunger. But anyway, <laughs> so she's <laughs> how old is she? Three. Okay. So you know they're learning to talk stuff. And at one point, she just stops and says, as clearly as can be, "Shut your mouth." And all her brothers went, oh, they freaked. Oh, no, what did she just say? Of course, she's cute, so everybody laughs. She gets away with stuff that they never could. That's the way it is. Suck it up, boys. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Who are you that human being to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Okay, now this is interesting because now we're getting a little bit of differentiation between the difference of something that's made uh, for special use and others for common use. See, what he's talking, see, that's where I get the opinion that we get some of this, but by and large, it's free choice. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? In other words, what if God intentionally created a guy like Pharaoh and put up with his stupidity just so that God could be glorified, is what he's saying. What if... He did this to make his, the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for his glory. Even us, whom he is also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now he's talking about predestination in a big part. In other words, that's the plan. God planned the Jews, and he planned to give the gospel to people who weren't Jews. Now we're away from the individual thing. And by the way, why does he keep asking, what if? What do you mean, what if? Aren't you supposed to tell us what it is? He doesn't, you kind of wonder sometimes he didn't quite get it. I don't know. He says, well, what if God was doing this? And what if God was doing that? All right, even Paul chilled over the whole thing. So now he's talking about the Gentiles. That's all of us who are not Jews. How did we show up? How is this even possible? Well, he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. So now he starts quoting from Old Testament scriptures, most of which you guys don't even understand or relate to, but they all understood it. 
And what he's doing is showing in the Old Testament that God knew ahead of time that besides the Jews, there would be a special group of people called, which is the Gentiles, all of us. This is not a surprise to God that all of a sudden people who were not Jewish became Christians by, by the tons. And he says, then it was prophesied, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my, beloved, my loved one who is not my loved one. And again, another place in the Old Testament says, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, therefore, God will, therefore they will be called the children of the living God. In other words, you're not my people, we're not part of the Jews, but yet he will tell us that we are children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Well, now he's challenging the idea that all Jews would be saved. Of course, they're not unless they come to repentance by free will to God. Yet the idea of the Jewish nation has always been predestined because this was God's plan. There's a, that's where you get the idea of, of the, the, the plan being predestined and those that have choice in it. Then there's some that he calls pre-chosen out of it. I don't know. It's like I said, not my favorite part of the Bible. Just speaking a little bit. All right, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. Just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Solomon, Sod, Solomon, like Sodom, and would have been like Gomorrah. So now he's shifting his talk about Israelites. How come, what's going to happen to the Israelites? Why aren't they turning to Christianity in growth? Part of them are, but by and large, most of them are not, which is true even still to this day. So he says, uh, Isaiah was talking about, we would all have been wiped out, but God always had, no matter how bad things look, God has always had a group of people who, who followed him and trusted in him. All right? Just when you think you're the only one left, uh, and he's going to tell us that in a minute. So what shall we say then? Well, this is what we're going to say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. That's us. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. They try to work their way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. This is absolutely clear. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Jesus. Uh, as it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And I promise you, the number one reason Jews got so mad at Christians in the beginning was not because we taught that you didn't have to be Jewish to be saved. I'm sorry, it wasn't because we didn't do anything. It's because a non-Jew could be saved. That's what drove them crazy. In fact, you would read, uh, people say, well, they can't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That wasn't their problem. When you read some of the sermons that they preached in the book of Acts, the, the, prof, the uh, apostles are preaching, and God did this, and Jesus did that, and God raised him from the dead, and they didn't respond much to it. They're just listening. And then he says, and then he says, we can go all the way and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Then they got mad and started screaming and tried to kill them. It was the fact that it was open to all of us that ticked them off so bad. And he's trying to point out, look, God has always had this as part of his plan. All right. Brothers and sisters, chapter 10. Remember, there were, really, there were no chapters. It's just the way we broke it up. He's continuing his letter. Brothers and sisters, my heart desire and prayers to God is that Israelites, that they might be saved. And remember the beginning of chapter 9. He says, I would willingly go to hell if they could be saved. I mean, he really was intense about this. I love people, but I ain't going to hell for nobody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're intense about their faith. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, but they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, all this Old Testament laws, all his rules, all is just leading us to Christ was the whole point, uh, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Uh, and look at the simplicity of it. It always boils down to those who believe. This whole thing about salvation, and he's going to continue talking about it, the simplicity of faith. I was reading, you know, preparing for this and trying to read these pinheads arguing about their theologies about this, that, and I just, oh my goodness, I can't stand, I would hate to be locked in a room with somebody like that. That would be my version of hell. You gotta listen to theologians for the rest of eternity. No! And they're, you know, they make it so complicated, and this, and that goes with that, and the stutter, we go back to this teaching, they're quoting stuff, nobody knows what they're talking about, except the intellectual pinheads that have all gotten into the same classes, and they argue this stuff over and over and over again, and, and then you've got the traditional churches that say, well, salvation, yeah, you've got to have faith, but also you have to experience the sacramental benefits, and, and you really accept Christ in your life when you take communion, and then all the sacraments, and all this stuff, and then they make it really complicated. I'm telling you, you never see these guys write it in that way. How come they never talk that way? How come they never brought those things up? They say, because we're ignorant. That's why they always laugh at evangelical Christians as being uneducated pinheads. You know, they're too simple. Yeah, that's the point. We believe this is simple. We believe, and certainly the Bible screams the simplicity of the gospel done by righteousness to everyone who believes. Not who believes and does 47 different things. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, like you're going to bring Christ down, or who's going to ascend to the deep as if to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. This is how simple this is. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And then he lays out in the simplest of terms. You want to understand what salvation is? Right here. If you will declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. Not that these other things don't have benefit. I'm all for the benefit of whatever they call sacraments. Of the of the other. But it's not essential for salvation. This isn't what saves us. All right? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Which, by the way, a lot of people, they, they say they believe, but they never tell anybody. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, it's a problem. At some point, you have to make a stand. You don't have to do it. You can do it smart. You don't have to do it to hurt yourself to the point that, you know, like if you were a Muslim in the Middle East, I wouldn't go walking downtown, hey, I got saved, I believe in Jesus. You're pretty much going to be dead by the end of the hour. All right, so you don't have to do so. But, but at some point, you have to be able to say, yes, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. This, this is what I am. This is who I am. Okay? Uh, you don't have to say that to you know, someone who will hurt you. Um, where am I? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it's with your heart that you believe. It was your mouth that you profess to salvation. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord? Wait a minute. You're just talking about predestination and stuff like that. Ah! All right? Same guy making the same points, creating two groups of people who yell at each other. Again, 
the preponderance, preponderance of evidence is that this is a free will deal. You choose to respond to the gospel or you don't. Is it possible, and certain, uh, some of these scriptures hint to, that some are divinely called apart for the, yeah, okay, I can buy that. But we're not going to quit preaching the gospel as a result. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? If the way to be believed is you got to hear it, well, who's going to tell them? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All right? So this, again, puts upon us the importance of proclaiming the gospel, teaching the gospel, presenting it to people so that they can, by their choice, choose the gospel. Now, some on the predestination side, well, we're supposed to do all that, but that's just to find the ones that are already predestined. I don't know. It gives me a headache. Okay? I don't get it all. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Now, he's talking about the Israelites again. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? A lot of them didn't. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation, and I will make you angry by a nation who has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I revealed myself who did not ask for me. So he's quoting scriptures again that's referring to us. We are not part of the Jewish race. We weren't brought up under the law. We don't, you know, we don't have this four, six, seven thousand year history of, of you know, God speaking through the patriarchs and stuff like that. We came to faith separate from all that. But, but Moses talked about it. He says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. We are members of all kinds of different nations, but Israel was a separate nation. Make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. I was found by those who did not seek me, not like they did. Reveal myself to those who did not ask me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, we preach the gospel freely to all these people, and they're coming to faith, and then yet, all day long I held my hands out to his own people, and they were disobedient and obstinate. So I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They've turned on your altars. Am I the only one left? And they're trying to kill me. This was Elijah. He was not a happy camper. Uh, and justifiably so. A lot of his life really stunk. <laughs> and uh, they were trying to kill him. I mean, it's amazing how many people in the Old Testament, when they did the right thing, most of their life was someone trying to kill them. And uh, he's basically telling God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who believes. I'm the only one who understands. And what was God's answer to him? God said to him, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Who's Baal? Baal is the Old Testament uh, deity that they would keep worshiping and idols and all that sort of stuff. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What? The people Israel saw earnestly what what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, the chosen ones among them did. See there again. Now we get all of a sudden this hint of some chosen ones. 
But others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they could not see, ears that they could not hear to this very day. And David prophesied when he wrote, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forevermore. Ouch, yeah. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentile, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? In other words, he's now saying that the reason God turned to other people was to prod them to jealousy. You know, it's like you dump your boyfriend and then you're dump, you know, dating some other guy who's really hot, you know, and that should make your boyfriend dead jealous. And then, wait a minute, you know, what happened here? And uh, that sort of thing. I don't, he just uses all kinds of analogies, and he's all over the place. And honestly, I don't know what his point is. I don't. I don't understand. We got to do this. I'm doing it. If that offends any of you, I'm sorry. I, just, I, I don't know. My advice always, when you get to a part of the Bible you don't understand, just keep going. Because at some point, it'll start making sense again. <laughs> all right? My problem is not what I don't understand. My problem is doing what I do understand. <laughs> Somebody say Amen. Yeah, <laughs> just the loving your neighbor part keeps me busy most of the day. Uh, seriously, did you mean that one? There's no way he can be that guy. All right, so I, I try to keep a very simplistic approach to the gospel and to the Christian message. And, but it's in there, so we're reading it. All right. He says, now I'm talking to the Gentiles. Thank you. Because all of that is like, are you kidding me? This had tons of subtle nuance and references to the Old Testament that unless they had studied it because they had scrolls, there had to be a lot of Jews there. I don't know. But he said he was speaking to the Jews, trying to clarify this thing. Because they had to understand, to them it was a big stinking deal. All of their lives they had been taught they are the chosen people. To this day they teach they are the chosen people. And most Christians will acknowledge they are the chosen people. We understand that. But, but they're rejecting Christianity. Well, according to the Bible, what he's teaching is this is temporary. We are in what is known as the dispensation of the Gentiles. We are the time of the Gentiles. This is the time where God said, I'm going to bring all kinds of people that are not part of this original group, and the gospel is being preached everywhere. Thank God for it. That's how all of us are getting in on this deal. Okay, We are in the time of the Gentiles. At some point... Uh, Israel is going to come back and become full believers, is what's prophesied in the Bible. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet, but according to them, it's going to. I believe that it's going to. But these guys, I mean, they've become Christians, and it's bugging them. All their lives have been taught this. Well, wait a minute. What about this? How come this isn't happening? How come they're not following? He's trying to explain to them in very complex terminology, which drives me crazy, about why things are the way they are. Some of it makes sense. Some of it, to me, is clear as peanut butter. All right? I don't understand, but I don't claim to understand. All right, now I'm talking to the Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's like you're writing to this to the Romans, and now you're just going around getting talking to them. Uh, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So even he's saying, man, I'm so committed to seeing God do miracles among the Gentiles just to kind of make the Jews jealous so they'll come to Christ. 
Okay? For if their rejection brought about reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, their rejection of the gospel is what has brought the gospel to the world. He says, if their rejection brought the gospel to the world, just think what's going to happen when they accept this stuff. It should be rather impressive. I assume I will be pushing up daisies by then. I don't know. It could all happen tomorrow. God's in control. I have no idea. Now, part of me wants to see it, and then I read the book of Revelations, and I'd rather be dead. All right. So just, seriously, you want to live through that? I don't want to live through that. Oh, man. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, where am I? I talk. I get off the beaten path. I don't know where I am. Okay, so if their rejection brought this incredible thing, this reconciliation of the world to God through Christ Jesus, which is what we're experiencing, man, what's going to be like when they accept? It's going to be like life from the death, from the dead. If the part of the dough offered at first fruits is holy, again, he's using Jewish terminology that clearly these people cannot possibly understand because most of you just didn't understand what I just said. All right? It's talking about they, they would take the, this... <laughs> they're cooking this thing and they would take part of the dough and offer it as first fruits holy then the whole batch is holy anyway he says if the root is holy so are the branches well that makes sense okay get me away from the dough I understand that if the tree is a healthy tree then the branch is a healthy branch if the tree is holy the branches are holy okay if it's a uh, you know uh, an elk, an elk, an elm tree. If it's an elk tree, growing elks, that would be very unusual. That's where elks come from, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that. Don't, don't, don't look it up, just trust me. Anyway, uh, an elm tree uh, is not going to give you coconuts. All right? You're going to have palm branches. You're not going to get apples. You're not going to have peaches. You're going to have... Do walnuts come from trees? I don't know what. Peanuts come from the ground. Is that right? Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's what I got. One thing right tonight. Good. We're on a roll, baby. Let's go with that. Anyway, the point is, uh, if some of the branches, verse seventeen, have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. So he's used an agricultural term, which they would understand because these were overwhelmingly agrarian societies. We are overwhelmingly not. But they would, they could, you could take and, and you could graft in a, 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 tr- a tree, or, you know, a branch. So anyway, he says, they cut off the branches that wouldn't believe, and then God grafted us in, but we are just taking our energy from the same root. It's all been about God and about God's promises and about faith and all that kind of stuff. So he says to the Gentiles, remember he said, I'm talking to the Gentiles, don't get arrogant. Don't go to the Jews and go, la, 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 la. Okay, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. He says, for you will say then, well, the branches were broken off, so I could be grafted in. Clearly, I am much more superior to this. Granted, he says, but... They were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Why would you tremble? 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, don't think he's not going to spare you either. Which there again, I don't, come, I don't see how they come to the conclusion that if you are someone who believes in predestination, there's no way you can be grafted out, taken off once you're grafted in. When he just said you can. Your Honor, the defense rests. All right? Don't write me. I, I, you know, they, they have explanations for all this stuff. I, I don't care. I just don't care. I, I don't even understand it, and I don't care. Okay? What seems to me is, I mean, how many times in the New Testament do they talk about free will and everyone believing and then warning them to make sure they stay true to the faith? I don't understand the conclusion. Well, I don't have to worry about because we're, we're already predestined and therefore we don't. I don't know how they get that conclusion. They're good people. They love God. I, some of my best friends, I guarantee you, some of the best friends that I have, and occasionally they come and preach at this church, are hardcore, hardcore Calvinists. And we're the best friends in the world. These guys would do anything for me. We love each other. We watch each other's backs. We don't argue about it. Here's the thing. You rare, rarely does one convince the other. The only reason someone tends to be a Calvinist, I'm using the word again, Calvinist, is because they were raised in a church that taught that. And the reason why someone tends to be the other is because they were raised in a church that taught that. On rare occasion, you can convince the floaters, but generally not. It's just, again, it's just a stupid argument. Just, ay, ay, ay. So anyway, I, I don't see how they come to the conclusion. They do have, they have it all explained. I don't get it. I will always warn you. I will. Don't, don't dink around. Well, I'm saved now, I'm predestined now, I'm going to heaven no matter what I do. Really? Don't be a moron, all right? Pay attention. And what I said last week, the reason I lean this way is because if I'm wrong, nothing, it doesn't matter. If I'm warning people to walk righteously and I didn't have to, then it doesn't matter. If they're wrong, holy cow, right? You don't have to worry about it. And if, you, if I was right, oh, now you got big problems. I would be very conservative, personally. It's my call, and I'm going to get nasty emails from all the Calvinists. All right. We don't have very many here, but there's a lot watching me on TV. I know. I get that. I get it. Because there's, there's a lot out there. There's no question. Uh, consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. What do you mean provided? You see that? He says, God was kind to you. Provided you continue in the kindness. Sounds conditional to me. All right, I think I'm making my point. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. All right, beating a dead horse now. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off from an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, he's saying at some point, they're going to be grafted back in. If God could take a wild bunch of wackos like us and stick us into this thing of faith, and it works. How much more will the natural branches, when they finally convert, will immediately connect to all of this? All right? He says, I do not want, to be, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. This is a scripture that in King James says, I don't want you ignorant, brethren. Is that what it says? Yeah. We used to have so much fun with the uh, old King James Bible. Because... Uh, we would tell girls, if girls didn't want to date you, they would quote this verse that says, I do not want you ignorant brethren. Anyway, I just, 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 
Bible humor, okay? It goes back a long way when we're all in the King James Bible. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. See, one would argue the reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Why doesn't Jesus come back? Because the full number has not still come in. So God has a plan that one could argue is predestined. Ay, ay, ay. All right. That's why we're still, that's why all the things, that's why the end hasn't come. There's people that God wants to see come in that haven't gotten in yet. I'm glad that this didn't all end in 1875. All right. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this momentous time is coming when they'll be saved. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies right now for your sake. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. You get that? So as far as, see, he hits both sides. As far as... Uh, the gospel is concerned, this preaching, this responding to free will of telling the gospel everywhere, right now they're the enemies because they were persecuting them at this point. The Jewish people were really going hard on uh, the Christians. But as far as election is concerned, this preset plan, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I will bless your seed. Okay. So that's God's plan, and because of that, they are still God's chosen people, but yet, la-di, la-di, yada, 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 wow, okay? For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. When God, once God's called them, he's not going to change his mind, and God has called them to salvation. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. He's really saying the only reason the Gentiles are getting this is because the Jews have turned it down. That's pretty strong. Okay, kind of glad they turned it down, you know. It's, it's like, uh, <laughs> I was going to give a bad example. Skip it. <laughs> I'm going to be so cold. All right, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they, may, they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Well, I don't even know what that means. And then he puts this little thing together, a collage of Old Testament quotes. Oh, the depth of his riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Certainly after reading this, it feels that way. Who has known the mind of the Lord? At this point, I go, I have no idea. Who has been his counselor? I don't know. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Well, obviously nobody. For from him and through him and for him all are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Praise God. Now he stops. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Now he just starts talking basic Christian doctrine, which is what we live by and what we go. All this deep, heavy thinking of why Israel's why and why it's part of God's plan, how much of it's choice, how much of it's predestined, everything, all that kind of stuff. Again, I don't think it was ever intended to get Christians at each other's throats. Uh, just people will come to different conclusions. There are, again, wonderful men that I respect highly that are way out here on this and others that are way out there and I kind of dance in the middle somewhere. Uh, again, it can't be proved. Nobody can prove it one way or the other. Believe what you believe. Have faith. Trust God. Come to your own conclusions. But if you come to your own conclusion, don't beat up people who don't agree with you. We're pretty big on that here at Celebration Church, okay? 
we don't think everybody has to agree, especially on a doctrine like this. There's all kinds of doctrines, be it the rapture or whatever it is, we don't allow, or we don't allow, we certainly don't encourage people to argue about it. If anything, we let people look. Not everybody's going to agree with you. What a shock. You think you have a problem. Try my job. You know, <laughs> all kinds of people don't agree with me about stuff. That's fine. People say, Pastor, does everybody agree with you? Man, my own wife doesn't agree with me half the time. So it is what it is, all right? So, but we proclaim what we need to proclaim, the simplicity of the gospel. At the bottom line, it all comes down to knowing Jesus, to him be praise, glory, and honor, and that's, that's that. So now, I'm going to wrap it up because we're going to start this baptismal service. We finally got through this. To me, it's a very difficult portion of Scripture. Uh, and again, if you don't have a really grafted-in knowledge of all of this, this made no sense to you. And even with me explaining it, it may not have made sense to you because even after studying it for hours and hours, it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. All right? What's clear is the next part becomes very, very, very crystal clear. And it's very positive. Talking about what it means to serve God and to encourage one another and walk in love and, you know, submission uh, to the proper authorities and la, 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 la. And that's uh, most of his writings to the Gentile church, which we'll get into, which is all of us tends to be very simple, very basic. He alludes to some of the stuff, but not, not again in any kind of detail like this. Uh, and by and large, it's very simple. And again, just to underline, if you run into parts of the scripture, old or new, that really look confusing to you, you can certainly Google. At least you have to have big volumes of books on your shelves and flip over. Most pastors don't how to have any books on their shelves anymore because we have Google. You know, I can research in five minutes what used to take me all day to research back in the day. Praise the Lord. It's good. You know, I can do it a lot faster. If you want to know, all you got to do is get online, and you'll see all these people who have opinions, and you'll see why I go, ugh, because they have, I mean, all kinds of opinions that argue with each other, they go at each other's throats. Again, my encouragement, uh, the stuff that we know we should do, that's what we should focus on. He's going to talk about sacrificing Loving people, don't judge each other, use the gifts that God's given you to bless other people. We'll get into that next week, okay? This, this is classic, simple Christianity, and this is where I glob onto. But we can't just dismiss this. He talks about so hopefully somebody got something out of that. Anyway, all right. I am finished. We are about to uh, go to the baptismal service. So the musicians can come out. They're going to play some music as these guys are being baptized. You guys in Appleton and Stevens Point, can, uh, you know, continue to watch, kind of see what's happening over here. It's kind of neat. We're going to break off the Facebook and other live stuff because, you know, you guys don't really need to see this anyway. Thanks for watching. All right, we good? Pastor Bob. All right, if you are being baptized tonight, you can head over to that wall as the band comes out. Uh, we're going to have some worship music tonight. Let me encourage you, sing along with us. Let's celebrate uh, those that are experiencing baptism tonight, showing that they are dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. Uh, while the band's coming out, let's just open up tonight's baptism service in a word of prayer. Would you stand up with me? Let's pray. Father God, uh, we, just, we love this moment of baptism. And uh, we pray that this would be a moment in the lives of those being baptized where they can look back and remember this time 
where they publicly show that they are dead to sin and alive in you. God, we give you praise tonight for life change. Some people tonight, they're brand new to faith. Others, they've known you for a little while. Others maybe have served you for years and years and years. And either way, God, we celebrate with them here tonight the life change that has taken place. Bless this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to the water where my past can be swept away in the current of your mercy and I know I'll never be the same there's no limit to your promise Jesus you have done it all for me Jesus you have done it all for me grace comes to light
has overcome. Mercy triumphed with the third day dawn. Darkness was denied when the stone was gone. Unstoppable God, let your glory go on and
Well, thanks for coming out tonight and celebrating with us. Let's all stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for tonight and the life change that's taken place. Lord, these baptism nights are so special. We give you praise here tonight. Be with everyone as they head out on their week. And uh, we look forward to worshiping God with you Sunday morning. We lift up tonight. Bless everyone in Jesus' name. Amen.